0: welcome to bitcoin fixes this where we explore the impact that bitcoin will have in all aspects of society today's guest is george McHale, former pastor and one of the co-authors of my new book thank god for bitcoin we talk about christianity and bitcoin including subjectivism missions church culture and natural law we also explore parallels with christ and the right attitude we should have towards bitcoin This is an episode of Listener Questions. As you'll find out, the people who ask these questions on Twitter will receive a signed copy of Thank God for Bitcoin. Fair warning, there's a lot of questions and content about Christianity up ahead. I hope you enjoy this episode. George McHale, welcome
1: to the show. How's everything going? Everything is great. Thanks for having me, Jimmy.
0: Yeah, uh I mean, we've obviously written a book together and everything and we're here for uh you know, answering some listener questions and things like that. But let's uh before we begin, I just want the audience to know who you are. What's your background? How uh how did you get into Bitcoin and you know, what what led you down this rabbit hole?
1: Sure. Yeah, so I got into Bitcoin uh in 2017, so bought at the previous all-time highs, uh, about 19k, which is always fun to do that for about 3 years as people look at you uh wondering what what you're, you know, starting to get really into and why. Um so yeah, it's been it's been nice having sort of the the vindication of, of new fresh all-time highs. So uh that's been that's been exciting. But I guess um before that I was in full-time ministry, so my background is I was an executive pastor for a while for a large evangelical church in the Seattle area. And um, before that, I was actually um, kind of bouncing around in the evangelical sort of church world. Um, Spent some time in in, uh, Calvinism at a church in Seattle called Mars Hill, led by uh, Mark Driscoll. Uh, And then before that, I was in the Coptic Orthodox Church, which is the oldest church. We claim to be the oldest church some catholics might dispute that some other orthodox groups might dispute that but uh it's the uh w- one of the oldest churches in the world and basically um founded in in Egypt and um uh, where i was born um and it's about 10% of the population of Egypt is is christian the other 90% is, is muslim so i was born into a christian family and um i was a deacon in, in the coptic church and uh so my journey basically through christianity I think was colored by my um, desire to fit in with my friends and, and sort of be um, become Americanized as an immigrant, you know, wanting to fit in, wanting to kind of speak the language, attended young life in high school, that kind of thing. So um, kind of left the the Coptic church for a more Americanized uh, religion. And, and that's kind of how I found my way into the evangelical church, but always just wanted to, um, I guess, be a part of, what was going on in the church movement? You know, I, I uh, my relationship to God is um, always very dynamic. I was always trying to listen, always trying to uh, figure out what God wanted me to do in the world. Uh, when I remember when I was 18 years old, I got a a tattoo on my arm <laughs> that says "Thy will be done." It's a it's a cross and it says "Thy will be done" on it. And so, God's will is this, this thing that I've been pursuing my, my whole life, looking for truth, seeking out truth, and. Um, sort of three years ago three four years ago um i I just started becoming pretty disillusioned with the church started asking a lot of questions about just like really practically speaking what are we doing you know what what is this what are we showing up for what is like what is the actual um message of jesus calling us to in our everyday lives what is is god still active in in the world you know and if so what is what does that look like because as i look around um, and, I, and I asked my, my friends, my coworkers. Um, there seems to be a lack of hope. There seems to be a lack of purpose. And so uh, when I started asking a lot of those questions, uh, honestly, that's kind of in a roundabout way what, what led me to Bitcoin um, and uh, to the conversations we started having, which led to our Bible study and, and eventually the writing of this book.
0: Mm. Well, so let, let's dig into that just a little bit because I think it's, um, that, that sort of like spiritual malaise that you're talking about. Um, and you know, like uh, sort of feeling that the church isn't all that it really should be, I think is, uh, is, um, is a familiar thing for a lot of Christians. Although, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are atheists that are listening to this or that, that are like, what, what are you talking about? Or something like that. But let's dig into that just a little bit. Um, what is it about that that you see sort of in common with, uh, say, or what contrast that to sort of like the Bitcoin community? Because I, I know we've had conversations about this, and this is one of the things that really attracted you to Bitcoin. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the church at large, and just generally speaking, has been captivated by just the fiat disease in general, this constant need to pursue. Material things and, you know, celebrity status and the next, you know, whatever it is, building or, you know, influencer or sneakers, uh, you know, have, be- have become like really uh, mainstream Christianity popular. Uh, and so it's just like, what are, again, what are you guys doing? What are we, why are you calling us here every Sunday to just gather a bigger and bigger group to just preach another message that's like, basically like a self-talk, uh, self-help self talk or motivational speaker um, uh, speech like it's just it's just there's no direction there's no sense of purpose it's it's read your bible pray and then you know trust god but there's no actual practical outworking of that in the real world and, and what i'm talking about is you know the obviously the Not just the broken economy, but broken politics, broken social situation—like so social situation where we can't have a a conversation about really anything with anybody who disagrees with us anymore, without it turning into, um, you know, hatred or broken relationships or whatever. Um, And so the sense of community just wasn't really there. It just it seemed like this church existed in order to perpetuate itself and nothing more. and I think I would con- contrast that to the Bitcoin community, you know. And I know, I know, even just saying Bitcoin community is controversial for a lot of people. Um, and I get that, you know. It's, uh, we, I think we don't we don't use that word uh, very well in our culture. And there's there's a lot of that leaves a lot to be um, desired. A lot of people have been hurt by community, um, and and a lot of people have been hurt by church. A lot of people people uh, their perception is they've been hurt by God, right? And I think uh, this makes a lot of people uncomfortable because we haven't dug deeper. And and what what that looks like now, I think, is people discovering that as Bitcoiners, we have this common ground about us. We have this uh, starting point that is kind of like at the macro level um, helps helps the, the helps us like view all of our other problems in a way that is hopeful. Right. If we can start with Bitcoin, then maybe we can solve some of these other things that are a little bit further downstream.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's definitely something that we've, uh, uh, you know, you, we've noticed about the church is that um, the, a lot of the life has sort of been drained out of it. And mm-hmm. that the leak might be caused by fiat money or something like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's obviously something that we uh, discussed a lot about and ended up writing a book about Um but yeah, uh, let's. Uh, th- all that is to just sort of like set up uh, what we want to do today, which is to answer some listener questions about the book, and maybe just sort of like go back and forth on uh, on some of the interesting things that uh, that our listeners um, mention. Uh, by the way, if we mention you on this podcast, you are going to get a signed copy of the book from me. So uh, <laughs> that hopefully will be motivation for next time for you to, you know, ask a questions and so on. So let's, uh, let's start with this one and you mark this one. So I'll, I'll uh, read it for you and then you can, you can respond to it and I'll, I'll give my take as well. Uh, but Adam Lehman uh, at Layman underscore Adam on Twitter asks, is Bitcoin the one world currency used in the end times?
1: <laughs> yeah. I love this question because I think it's, very common, actually. I've, I've heard this uh, among people who are Christian first, and then you get them, you you start talking to, about Bitcoin to them, and uh, this question sometimes comes up if you're into uh, end times theology, which um, a lot of evangelical Christians uh, can be. I would say that no, it's not. Uh, in fact, I would say that the fiat currency, I would say the U.S. dollar, is probably closer to the one world currency used in Revelation. Um, if you if you recall the, the the verse, it basically is talking about um, the mark of the beast, which is a biblical reference actually to currency. If you think about marks or, or notes, it's it's currency that basically is money that you can't spend without permission from um, from one central authority. No one so thinks uh, Revelation. Let me see here. I have it up. Revelation thirteen seven. It says so so that no one may buy or sell. Except he who has the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So what it's saying is you won't be able to transact unless you have this mark, right? So people th- think of it as like a, a mark on your forehead, or, or some sort of tattoo, or microchip, or whatever. Um, but it is it is referring to money, and it's referring to money that you need in order to do business or or to transact in the coming world, right? In the in, in these quote unquote end times. So that doesn't describe Bitcoin, right? Because Bitcoin is fully decentralized. But what it sounds more like is this centralized fiat currency.
0: Yeah, and that's this is something that we definitely touched on in the book is that if you look at the verse, it's clear that there's a trusted third party in every transaction. And as we know in Bitcoin, that's something that doesn't exist. In fact, like something like Ripple is way closer to uh, something like the Mark of the Beast and not Bitcoin. So. In that sense, um, that, that fear, I think, is quite misplaced. Um, there are other people that sort of interpret that verse not so literally, but as something like, you know, mark on your head, something that you believe and mark on your hand, something that you do. Uh, multiple interpretations of that, but there are certainly people that do take that literally and if it is then I, I don't think you need to worry very much because Bitcoin is the exact opposite. It'd be kind of like saying, is gold the one world currency used in the end times? That would be kind of ridiculous because obviously gold is very de- decentralized, especially if you're trading it physically. Uh, although, you know, it could be if uh, if there were uh, an intermediary that uh, you had to trust in order to transact with gold. Mm-hmm. Um, another one uh, that we had is from at Lad. Uh, on Twitter, how much of an influence do you think subjectivism subjectivism has had on creating the fiat conditions of today? Do you think Bitcoin rejects postmodernism's subjective understanding of truth and is in some ways a return to an objective st- standard? Uh, quote unquote, my truth versus quote unquote, the truth with a capital T. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. My boy, Mclad. I think uh, is is asking a, a very astute question, and um, I, I'm not sure how how connected it is to to uh, fiat. But certainly, what Bitcoin does deliver is a record of the truth that everyone can agree on. I mean, this is the whole the whole point, really. I like to think of um, nodes, Bitcoin full nodes, as witnesses <laughs> to the to the <laughs> truth that's happening on the blockchain, right? Um, and you could even go as far as to say as their witnesses in the cloud, they're clouds, right. They're, um, I think that's a biblical reference, but I don't know what, <laughs> what, what, what do you think about this one, Jimmy?
0: Well, so I've, th- I've thought about this quite a bit. Um, and, and my, my current thinking is that fiat money is sort of like a tool of, um, Positivism, And that's sort of like a legal theory. And I, I wrote a tweet about this today. Um, and it, most people don't really understand the difference between natural law and positivism or what both either of those things mean. But let me just diverge for a moment and explain what those are. Natural law is this idea that we have rights as human beings, right? Like, uh, And these include the right to life, to liberty, to property, to the pursuit of happiness and all sorts of things like that. And if the government, if authorities take those away from you, then the government is being immoral and you have the right to rebel and so on. This is the justification, for example, in the Declaration of Independence. Uh, Positivism is sort of the opposite or an alternate view of law, uh, which says that you need to be explicitly be given a right in order to have it. So there are no quote unquote human rights. It's something that the state decides to give you or not. And Uh, And, you know, that that's uh, uh, that leads to all sorts of evil. You can you can imagine um, like, you know, a a trivial example would be something like the government telling you, hey, you uh, don't have the right to cut someone's hair for money. You need a license in order to do that. And so it's a right that the state gives you through a license. uh, And if you don't have that, then you're in violation, even though from a moral perspective, there's I mean, like. That seems kind of stupid, Um, and many people that want to cut hair and not have a license kind of say that, Uh, but it can get a lot more serious, uh, and we we can see that in, like, some of the worst governments in the 20th century, Uh, you know, like... Many of them just said, you don't have a right to life. You don't have the right to liberty. Uh, so they either kill you or jail you, right? Uh, you don't have the right to property. So they take all your stuff. You don't have the right to uh, you know, pursue happiness. So they make you go do a job that you don't want to do. And that uh, that is sort of like the philosophical difference between the two. And we've gone away from natural law towards positivism. Uh, and in part, because it's very convenient for the people that are in charge, it's very easy for them to just say, hey, like we were, uh, you know, positivism is the right way, because then the government can do ro- no wrong. They, they uh, have no moral culpability if, for example, they decide to jail someone or kill someone or uh, take away their stuff or force them to do stuff that they don't want to and, and so on and most governments have been trending in that direction. So all of that is to say that fiat money is a form of positivism. It's it's basically saying you uh, it's uh putting the lens of positivism on money itself and saying well you don't have the right to this money. You instead uh, we control what your reality on this money is. Um so the government can, for example, print a lot of money and dilute whatever money you have and sort of take it away without even you knowing about it, in a sense. And, and that is, is a very subjective version of the truth, because uh, the government or whoever is an authority gets to decide, hey, this is what reality is. And we can change it at any time. It's a very subjective reality. And if you read about like uh, the show trials in uh, in communist uh, Russia or whatever, you know you you hear about all of these things where you know people were forced to confess to ridiculous things that they never did. It's 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 sort of like turning the truth on its head. There's no objective truth anymore. The truth is whatever the authority tells you. Uh, the truth should be, um, and that's a very subjective truth, and that is very postmodern and it, it creates sort of, um, uh, these conditions that, that are very akin to what fiat money does, which is that authorities have control of, over everything. Um, Bitcoin is very much going away from that and saying there is an objective truth and, you know, no one gets to decide now that the truth is something different. Right. Um, and, and that to me is the key to this question. And I, I really do think that Bitcoin does return at least money to an objective standard. And if you have money that's an objective standard, then the rest of the market, the rest of the economy starts becoming a lot more rational instead of uh, sort of created in the image of some bureaucrat or some authoritarian uh, that that wants to impose some vision on the rest of civilization. So. In that way, I, I do think that Bitcoin starts bringing about more truth with a capital T uh, because truth with a little t, you know, um, enhances truth with a capital T. What What do you think, hmm. George?
1: Yeah, I like that. I just I, I agree with everything you're saying. And I think the only thing I would add is how we go from a world where value is, is subjective with fiat currency to a world where proof of work is what backs um, how people are going to you know, allocate value. And, and that to me is, um, it, I think, adds a level of capital T truth to how humans interact and transact. And uh, once that begins to underline all of our um, uh, interactions, then you actually have a vision of a beloved community, to use another church phrase, right, is people are now um, interacting and transacting in truth. It's not just this random like, I can I can work so hard all day, nine to five, sixty hours a week, and earn a pittance, um, while the government is printing money f- for free, basically like no labor involved. What is that, right? That mm-hmm. that once that dynamic goes away, and it's just everybody is working and earning for the same sort of pool of available <laughs> uh, uh, Bitcoin, then you know, you have a level playing field. And when you have that, then I think everything just begins to change.
0: Yeah. And money starts representing something a little more truthful, right? Like as a result of that, instead of it representing, you know, some money printed by some bureaucrat or possibly 60 hours of back, backbreaking labor somewhere, um, you know, it, it, instead starts representing the value that it actually added to civilization. And that's uh, something that we point out in the book is, you know, like money, that's what money's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a representation of how much value you've added to someone or something uh, in, in and enhance civilization instead of, you know, this murky water of, uh, okay, well, you know, it is for those people, but uh, you know the privileged people. It, it's uh, it, it's basically you get all of that credit without actually doing anything, and that, in a sense, is is a currency of lying, right? Like it it doesn't represent work or value added at all. It's it actually represents theft, and it's it's actually horrible. And uh, that, to me, is a is a key part of what Bitcoin is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, let's uh, move on to the next question. Viking King 447 from Twitter asks, how might Bitcoin adoption assist with getting funds to missionaries around the world? High wire fees are a waste to kingdom funds uh, to further the gospel. So what what do you think about this issue of uh, sending money to missionaries and so on? What's your perspective?
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly getting money... Moving money around the world, moving value around the world with Bitcoin is a huge advantage. Something that I've been able to experience firsthand: just sending money to uh, my aunts and uncles in, in Egypt through uh, my cousins. Right, that that without having to uh, get bank accounts and all this other crap that was required previously. Like it's night and day the difference that that it makes when you're able to um, to just send money with no with no third party. Um, and so the question of, of whether or not getting funds, you know, from the U.S., let's say, to missionaries overseas, I think is certainly relevant. Uh, I would I would take it a step further and, and say that it's probably going to a- make us ask even deeper questions about missions in general, right? Like, what what are what are these um, missionaries that were sent there under sort of a, a different, um, I guess, paradigm, right? of 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 need and resourcing in this fiat world how is that going to change now entirely right i think about um bitcoin beach doing amazing work in uh i believe it's called alzanti el, uh, el salvador um and they're basically building a, a community they're building a city from the ground up founded in a bitcoin economy a bitcoin circular economy to me that's what new missions looks like in in a bitcoin economy and a bitcoin standard um, so I would definitely, if you if you haven't heard of Bitcoin Beach, I'd encourage you to look them look them up and and because I think they're what they're modeling is a, a beautiful example of a holistic Bitcoin circular economy that is in a lot of ways the new mission field, uh, if you will.
0: Mm. Yeah, good points. Um, yeah, th- for me, thinking about missions is um, is tricky because it, in a sense, like a lot of the quote unquote, closed countries or the countries that are very difficult to get in for missionaries, for example, um, they tend to be the most hostile to, you know, the US dollar hegemony, right? Um, And, you know, there's a reason why there are sanctions on Iran or North Korea, for example, and those are, you know, two of the most closed countries in the world. Uh, And in a sense, uh, fiat money has sort of created that artificial barrier. It, it used to be that missionaries just sort of could go wherever. Um, now we have all these political barriers, largely due to currency and things like that, and authoritarian governments that have so much power as a result of fiat money. Uh, so I, I do wonder, kind of like what you said, like what, what does missions look like after, after you get rid of all this artificial sort of fiat Borders and things um you know the the reason why it's the u.s and like first world countries that send all these missionaries is because in a sense they they're all benefiting from some form of the Cantillon effect and they they're able to accumulate money or like earn money in one area which uh you know gets to print the money first and then spend it where it's uh, you know it hasn't kind of inflated yet uh, with uh, with dollars or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and that that's sort of like the advantage and why you have the flow of missionaries that you do. I honestly wonder, like, if if you did have a level playing field, you know how how many missionaries would come out of like say India uh, instead of the United States and or Brazil or or even Nigeria or something like that? Um, the the flow is sort of like presupposes or sort of, sort of like um uh you know a hierarchy of uh you know like holiness or something like that but this is like exactly the opposite of what it actually says in the bible you like don't judge holiness by how rich people are and where you happen to have been born and what currency you use determines a large part of you know, where you are among the global elite. If you're born in the United States, you are almost certainly going to be in at least the top 5%, probably the top 1% of the world. And certainly if you're listening to this podcast, you're you're probably in the top half percent or even higher. So mm-hmm. in that sense, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I honestly wonder like maybe we've like calculated everything wrong in missions. What mm-hmm. do you think?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I think, missions as they exist today are largely a byproduct of the fiat economy and a lot needs to change frankly um so i completely agree with you Mm.
0: all right let's uh take a look at another question here uh control all btc on twitter asks
1: great handle by
0: the way (laughs) (laughs) in the context of the bible how does followership gel with the strong bitcoin notions of self-sovereignty liberty Freedom of access and self-agency. Oh. Oh, that's a tough one. Ah, man. Okay.
1: (laughs) Where to begin? I guess. Okay. So, something I've been thinking a lot about is, um, you know, we have this notion in Christianity where we talk about Jesus and the salvation freeing us. Jesus freed us, right? Freedom in Christ. And kind of like what I was talking about earlier is I like to get really, really pragmatic, really practical with... What are we talking about here? What does this mean for my life today? What does Jesus free me from today? And um, I think that I've been answering this question with kind of what is, what's overtaking the world right now. And and as I look around, I see that fear is taking over the world right now. We are afraid to leave our homes lest we get the coronavirus, you know, or whatever. It's fear that um, has just completely captured us and i think fear is very much anti-christ fear is anti-freedom and so um to kind of build on this on this question a little bit i think that it is the uh the freedom from fear right and all the way to i think what what jesus accomplishes in 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 um his story of of resurrection is freedom from the fear of death specifically okay Mm. and so I think that there is something to be said about all these themes that Bitcoiners uh, embrace: self-sovereignty, liberty, um, freedom of access. That is is very connected with the you know biblical narrative of of Christ, and I think that you know how to how to make that connection to Bitcoin is is something that i'm 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 still working through to be honest with you i think i think this book really helps like just just by just accepting bitcoin as this this gift that sort of just kind of came out of nowhere and we don't really fully know its origins like um there there is something that that ties the two together but but freedom is at the heart of i think both narratives i don't know what, what would you say
0: yeah, uh, it's interesting that the uh, control of BTC called it like followership, because um, in in a sense it's um, it, it's talking about I, I think what uh, control of BTC is talking about is is more the sort of like the structure of the church, right? There there's a there's a tendency for And I'm sure you're you're familiar with this. You go to any church, the church starts taking on the personality of the head pastor. That's it. Anytime you have a switchover or whatever, you get sort of that personality, and uh, a lot of the congregation sort of self-selects to um, be aligned with whatever uh, that person believes. And there's a tendency towards sort of like uh, almost a groupthink a little bit, and that, and you know, like control BTC is contrasting that with self sovereignty, self agency, freedom of access, liberty, and all of that. And, uh, and I I appreciate the question, because it, it is pointing out that reality that there is, in a sense, um, some level of, well, what what you could charitably call community, but what you would call sort of less charitably as sort of like, um, almost like a, uh, you know you know suspension of the teleological or something like that as, as an atheist would say and, and instead just sort of like go all in because you finally have some uh some place to go or something like that um I believe that to be true in some aspects um and I believe that to be true in some aspects because of fiat money and this is going to take a little bit of explaining but essentially what what you have are um, are communities that are largely sort of motivated to um to grow more than like maybe uh, like grow at all costs almost and um and the easiest way to do that uh with any group is to have sort of like a personality at the center uh you know somebody that is very dynamic that is very charming. Um, And that tends to be the head pastor, honestly. And there, there is some element of that. Now that person can have very good intentions and so on. Uh, but a large part of, you know, why you get sort of mega churches, for example, in the United States is because they have a pastor that is very charming and very, uh, you know, has a really magnetic personality and so on. And they, they go towards that, um, but like you said, the the bigger thing here is that that's not what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're we're supposed to follow God, and there's there's freedom in that. But there's like that that sort of like um, uh, you know what what you're sort of uh, talking about all, all the way at the beginning, uh, sort of like the institutionalization, uh, the the sort of like structure that's almost artificial at times that that causes that spiritual malaise i think comes from not actually following god and and the the reality of being a christian is actually much more towards follow god and that is the path to liberty um that that is the path to real freedom because you're free not just from sort of like external trappings or control from other people but you're free from the actual things that entrap you which are sin which are you know like you know all, all the deadly sins greed and lust and um you know uh gluttony or sloth or whatever um and instead uh have a real freedom that allows you to truly be expressive of what it is that uh that you're supposed to do so mm-hmm. all of that is to say that i think the bible and bitcoin are totally aligned in that regard like we were uh, that that idea of self sovereignty um a, instead of sort of dependence on a human institution like fiat money that that's totally biblical to to not depend on human institutions which unfortunately many churches sort of enable a lot of people to do is to uh depend and uh, not on God but on sort of like um you know human um i don't know uh Magnetism or something like that, Um, and you know, uh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Help me out, George. Help me out. (laughs) No,
1: I think you said it. I think I I think that's literally the connection. Is just this these themes of freedom and liberty and self sovereignty are they're both there. There's a reason that there's a lot of Christians that are attracted to Bitcoin, and there's a reason that a lot of Bitcoiners who maybe grew up Christian, but Aren't practicing Christians or haven't you know uh, tapped into their faith in a while or whatever are intrigued by the overlap? Like the there's <laughs> we got to pay attention to these things. And I'm not saying like they're one and the same at all, but but I, I do think that they point to the same uh, themes that we all appreciate about what Bitcoin offers the world. The hope that is underlying all of this is this sovereignty, this freedom. And, and so I think the, the question is very on point in that it's just, it's just highlighting that there um, there is this overlap. There are these parallels. And so right on control BTC, I think, I think you, I think your question kind of answers itself at some level, like there is a strong connection between, between the two.
0: Mm. Yeah, indeed. That was a great question. All right, let's uh, go on to the next one. (laughs) I'm not even sure how to pronounce this Twitter name, but it is at I I I don't know. Um, Although the text starts from a Judeo-Christian premise on debt, how can the increase in the use of Bitcoin in non-Western societies whose philosophical foundations are alien to that tradition explained uh
1: i would like to phone a friend can we call robert breedlove on this one maybe
0: (laughs) (laughs) well he's unfortunately not here but uh but yeah give it a shot man let's let's see what you think yeah
1: i mean man this is a tough one well first of all i think that other um non-western societies who who are basically um Ad- adopting bitcoin maybe even faster than western societies that's something to pay attention to and I, I if i'm understanding the correct the question correctly it's how do you explain that how do you explain that adoption so basically uh challenging the notion that you know, of the previous question at some level of the connection between uh christianity and bitcoin if if other sort of non-christian um, societies are also seeing the appeal to to bitcoins is that how you're reading the question too, jimmy
0: yeah i think so it's it's just sort of like well you know i mean you're making the argument that it's a christian thing mm-hmm. but he's saying well but what well, how do you explain non-christians like liking it or something like that? Yeah. it's, it's yeah. how i'm
1: interpreting it got it got it yeah yeah, I mean, I don't think that you have to start with the you know, the premise on debt being uh, why we need Bitcoin. I think. Uh, but, but I think developing nations, um, I've always thought this ever since um, getting into Bitcoin, is that um, it's going to be the hardest for Americans to grasp uh, Bitcoin and its, and its use or its value sort of at a deep level. Whereas if you're in a developing country, you're going to realize it right away. Um, at some level, like we're very comfortable here. We're, we're like, we're good, right? Like we are the world reserve currency. We enjoy a high standard of living. Even if you're, you know, not doing that well in this country, you're still doing better than most people. And so I, I think it's really that simple, you know? Um, and I think the temptation as, as Christians is to kind of be on our high horse and be like, well, pff, you know, you don't, you don't, you couldn't possibly understand this thing because, you know, it's, It's rooted in self sovereignty and freedom, and these are all Christian things that we have a monopoly on, and that's just not true, right? Like these are innate human principles, right? Like that—that anybody can understand if uh, you—if you put it in front of them, and and that's why you're seeing Nigeria being the—I believe it's number two country uh, Mm -hmm. in adoption—is because they innately understand that this is better money than the money that they have. Uh, You don't—you don't really need to explain it much further than, hey, n- no other third parties control this. You don't need permission from your government. You don't need permission from your banks. And by the way, there's only 21 million of these ever. So nobody is, is um, printing more as you're working hard to um, uh, to earn it. Um, and so I, I do think it's, it's kind of that simple. I, I don't think that the sort of quote unquote Judeo-Christian narrative has a monopoly on the human condition. <laughs> mm.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right. Like ju- there there are already lots of incentives, and if you just look at the game theory, um, the the people that are going to benefit the most are the ones that are going to come into it. So, um, you know, a, a lot of these people in third world countries, they they get it right away because their cur- currencies collapsed maybe once, maybe twice, three times in their lifetime already. So for them, it's it's kind of a no brainer to go to something that's not like that because. U.S. dollars tend to be scarce in all, all these countries, and so on. So, um, yeah, I, I I think what what it's pointing to is that there is something like natural law, and I think people recognize that even in countries where they don't have, you know, rights to property and whatnot, they still want it. And this is a way in which people can take back their right to property um, that's kind of unconfiscatable that that can't be taken away from them. So. In a sense, it, it's attraction to natural law that causes this, um, and that's I, I think um, something that uh, you know in Christianity at least it's it, it's sort of a given. It's it we all bear God's image, and therefore we we have something called human dignity. It's a, it, it's um, you know we have these rights uh, that that are given to us by God, uh, and you know that that means that. Yeah, you know, the, these are things that we don't have to feel guilty about if, uh, you know, like to have our own property. Um, and some people that were born in communist countries like and were educated in those would actually feel guilty for having private property or something like that. Um, you know, so but there is sort of like a natural attraction to natural law. And I think that's that's what we're talking about here, and there, and that that's what makes Bitcoin naturally attractive to pretty much all human beings once they really understand what it it does. Mm. Mm. Yep. All right, let's uh, take a look at this other question. Um, this from at Hodling underscore png, um, who says. Some, Kason, for example, uh, say Bitcoin slash Satoshi are like a second coming or are messianic. Max Kaiser suggests Bitcoin may be a direct gift from God here to save us all. Curious what you think. Could Bitcoin be the new Jesus Christ? Sorry, have not read the book, so maybe a dumb question. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great disclaimer at the end there.
1: All right. You want to take this or me? You you go for it man. All right. This is this is one of my favorite questions and it's obviously very controversial but this is this is kind of my approach. So Jesus today in the year 2020 sits on the throne. And I think this statement is true if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian because we measure time based on his life and and based on that narrative, right? So we talked a little bit about this on the noted podcast too that like the historical Jesus, you know, few people dispute even that um, that Jesus was a real historical figure. And so when we say Jesus is king, um, what we're talking about is no other human up until today has lived a life where 2,000 years later, people are still talking about him and still trying to emulate him, right? That's Jesus. That's who we're talking about. So again, you don't have to be a Christian to embrace that. That's just facts. That's, that's the world that we inhabit. So when we talk about a potential second coming or we talk about messianic prophecies or whatever, we have to recognize that we don't get to make that call <laughs> unless unless this sort of track record is achieved, okay? So whether or not Satoshi is like a second coming can't be answered right now because it's only been 12 years, right? So, So everything Satoshi has accomplished in these 12 years is very, very impressive. There's no question about it. It's at the level of, I would say, Christ consciousness. In that, what Satoshi deployed in the world is addressing so many of humanity's problems that you have to at least you have to at least tip your hat. You have to at least be like, okay, dude was thinking at a very deep level, right? When when Satoshi thought of and released Bitcoin into the world, like there's it's almost like he thought of everything, right? But but to kind of declare or to say, well, this is definitely the second coming of, of Jesus or whatever, I think it's just premature, if nothing else. I think it's an interesting conversation. I, I, I think like, look, if you're a Christian and and you're like, this conversation is making you very uncomfortable, I think pay attention to that. Because we obviously live in some really interesting times. We live in some really transitionary times, and we obviously know that when – jesus returns or when there is a second coming we're not gonna like be able to um it's 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 like when jesus first came people didn't recognize him people didn't know uh um what to expect or who he was like all these things came sort of after the fact so i think it's it's equally foolish to be like no that's impossible there's no way why not why couldn't it be you know So I, I, I take this question with a very open handed approach of it's definitely possible, but it's way too early to sort of make any sort of declaratory statements. Um, now I will caveat that this with a more sort of direct personal answer and say like, I hope, I hope it's true, you know, because like we need something, (laughs) we need saving. We're in, we're, I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is in just like dire straits every level and i don't know about you but like if it weren't for bitcoin i i would probably be like questioning a lot of things i think i would be pretty depressed on a lot of uh, levels like and i have a pretty good life you know i have like i have a lot of really good things going for me i have a great family all these kind of things but as i look at the world i'm like what are we going to do how do we how do we dig ourselves out of this hole and you know that's this is where like even just the title of our book thank god for bitcoin comes in because it's like there is so much hope and so much potential here that you know you you have to at least acknowledge some fingerprints of the divine uh, in in what's going on.
0: Yeah, I I, I would say that I, I I would uh I wouldn't quite put it at the level of second coming. Um, I think that's like a that's a that's a historical event at least in my mind that that would be very obvious to anybody. Um, and it wouldn't it wouldn't be so hidden, at least according to my theology. So I, I wouldn't put it that way, but I do think it is definitely, it, it definitely has a gift like a uh, character to it, right? Like it, it does fix a lot of things. Um, and there are, there, are, there have been sort of like technological innovations and things like that, which, which have made things better, uh, which, which have, um, you know, prevented uh, you know a, a lot of evil and, and and so on, which I think has has been good. Um, that this is probably on par with. Uh, so, um, in that sense, it, it is a gift from God. I I wouldn't say it has necessarily that much um, parallels with the Second Coming. I mean, I, I think there there's maybe some. Um, some sort of some parallels in terms of like the idea of sacrifice and things like that. And Satoshi mm-hmm. disappearing yep. uh, that, that have some parallels as well. Um, I wouldn't necessarily put any of those things on the order of like biblical prophecy or something. I would say though, that this is something that I am excited about that I do think is uh, you know, like was came into the world at an auspicious moment. And like you said, it, It provides hope for a lot of people. Um, And, uh, you know, I mean, I certainly talked to a lot of my non-Bitcoiner friends and they are depressed, like seriously depressed because they haven't seen like their friends in nine months and they're constantly scared that something else is going to happen or that the current situation is horrible and so on. So um, in a sense, like uh, I I, I don't know if Bitcoin is I, I don't think Bitcoin is the new Jesus Christ, but Bitcoin is. Uh, in a sense, it's a, it's a gift to the world.
1: Mm, yeah. One well, one more thing I would add to this. Um, my my guy uh, at God says Hodel pointed this out to me. Uh, Revelation two seventeen says, "Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it." known only to the one who receives it and and his theory of the white stone you might have guessed is the white paper with a new name written on it so these are just like fun like theories or whatever they're not i don't think they're like uh prophecy or whatever but i I just i think the parallels are super interesting and I, i i think like if it As Christians, again, there's nothing to be afraid of. God isn't threatened by these conversations. God isn't up there like, oh my God, they're like considering maybe, uh, you know, something's going on. But I'm like, you know, God's fine. Just chill. Let's have these conversations. Let's have them openly and let's explore. Let's see. Let's try to figure out what's happening in the world.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's a that's a perfectly fair way to go about it. I, there, there are too many people that are like, "Oh no, I can't ever hear anything that might be heretical." You know, yeah. um, that's 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 not at least how how I approach my faith, and I think anyone who does is. I, I don't know. It's kind of uh, you know, it's the ability to withstand things, uh, and like the you know, closing your ears and saying "la la la" is more the. Realm of the atheist these days, anyway. Yeah, um, sure. all right, let's uh let's go to the last question here that I want to cover. Um at Park Muse Parker Muse on Twitter asks, as this book seems to tie in elements of faith, what is the proper attitude to have towards Bitcoin or crypto in general? I asked this because it is evident that many are over-leveraged emotionally and mentally, and I've seen too many tweets mimicking religious rhetoric hmm. wow that's a
1: that's a good question i like how he says over leveraged emotionally and mentally but not not financially <laughs> just leaves that one out. Oh, well, that's a given obviously yeah, totally. yeah. <laughs> yeah so um proper attitude i think is uh, you know i, I just got to shout out matt odell on this one i mean stay humble stack sats i think honestly this is one of the most, <laughs> if I can use the word prophetic. I think this is one of the most prophetic memes that we have in the space because it it's so especially now as we're sort of entering new all time high uh, territory. It's so um, just like future oriented. You know, as the price goes up, our need to stay humble um, is is ever present, and so I think that is the the first thing to say about proper attitude. Uh, I know I have to keep myself in check. There's a lot of people that I want to call or text and be like, told you so. But like, that's not a very Christian attitude, right? That's not a very godly attitude. That's not, uh, it's not helpful. Even if you're, if you're a non-religious person, it just doesn't do anything. And so I think, again, stay humble, keep, keep, you know, keep stacking sats because I think that, that, um, I think, um, is an important part of like the, the conviction that drives all of this, that like there, there is something to this that, that is important. And I think conviction um, is there's, there's something about what we're um, up against. Right. And then we talk about this a lot in the book, being able to have the conviction that says, no, the old system, what we've been doing is not only broken and not working and, and not effective, but it's wrong. It's morally corrupt. Right. And, and in order to be able to do that with confidence, you have to have something else to stand uh, in uh, in, a, in a practical way. Right. Um, and so I think I think that's that's part of it. But but really to to address the question of like, I think the, the deeper question of like, how do you avoid making Bitcoin like your new God? Right. Um, I think that is it, it goes hand in hand with staying humble. Right. And, and, and just recognizing that this is a tool. This is a tool. This is not. A, this is not a god. Don't worship it. It's not your salvation. It's not going to save you from being an asshole. It's not going to save you from being a jerk. Like you have to. Like you still have to work your own stuff out. You still have to be a human in the present moment. You still have to interact with other humans. And so, um, Bitcoin is a tool. And if you are one of the fortunate people to be here this early and uh, have received this gift, and and to use a biblical phrase have been found ready to receive this gift then i think that requires and calls you to be uh, even more humble and be like wow what what part of my life story uh, has led me here to where i get to receive this gift and now what is what luke 12, luke 12:48 12 says uh of of uh, to whom much is given much is expected what is my responsibility now what do i do with this gift and I think that's the proper attitude is uh, we got to receive this almost with fear and trembling right and you know twenty three k right now as of today is uh if 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 Bitcoin does what we believe it's going to do is' peanuts compared to kind of the the wealth and the power that we're coming into and with that comes great responsibility and so people of faith I think have to have to receive that with fear and trembling and and begin thinking about. What does that look like? what What is what does stewardship of that gift look like, uh, both today and into the future?
0: Mm. Yeah, all excellent points. There, there is definitely a stewardship element to it, and um, and things like that. I, I, I want to take it in a slightly different direction because there, there's also. Um, know a lot of temptations along the way right um and all coins being the major one (laughs) and that's unfortunately uh way too common and a lot of people sort of fall prey to that because in a sense um they're not receiving bitcoin as the gift that it is they're they're there's a temptation to kind of get greedy and think that you're the genius because you happen to have found this thing and now you found like seven other things that sort of look like it. And now you can make tons more money. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think is the path that a lot of people have taken and it's, it's led them down the wrong way. And it's uh, um, and, you know, a lot of people have gotten wrecked as a result of that. Um, I mean, that's not to say that, you know, there are people that are able to successfully make money doing that. Uh, but it's, it's a very different thing. Um then using it for its sort of intended purpose, which I think is you know storing value. It's it, it, it's using it to um, you know at, at least in its usage right now, it's it's very useful as a store of value. Instead, like trying to you know go find uses for something like Ripple, which doesn't really have a use, but you know uh, and getting wrecked as a result. Um, that that to me is the real. Danger and there, there's a leveraging um, emotionally and mentally into these other things way more than there is sometimes in Bitcoin. So, like uh, you know, a lot of people that are into altcoins, they they get so emotionally involved because that becomes sort of like their identity, right? Like I am a Litecoiner, or I'm a you know, uh, you know, Hex person, or whatever. It, it, it's like they they get into it and they um, they almost see themselves primarily as that. And it becomes sort of like their tribe and they don't really get like for them. That's sort of like the purpose is uh, for that to give them an identity. Um, And this I think is, is at the heart of what, you know, like sort of valuing it properly, um, which is to, Not put it too high. I think fiat money has a tendency to make us sort of worship it almost um, and put us into a um, monetary Stockholm syndrome where we, you know, worship or we love the very thing that enslaves us or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And not too low either, right? Like where you don't care about money at all and, you know, you just sort of like dismiss it as beneath you. But to properly value it, you know, put it in its right, correct place, which is as a tool uh, for, you know, storing value and to use it properly uh, with good stewardship and all of the other things that you said, that is really where we're supposed to be. But unfortunately, it's it's way too easy to, um, I don't know, put uh, put it like too high or too low. Um, too low tends to be sort of like the no coiners and too high tends to be more the all coiners or whatever but regardless like finding that right balance and uh and you know giving it the proper amount of attention emotionally mentally um you know intellectually or whatever um that is is the real trick and uh and that's going to be uh i mean i i'm not gonna sit here and tell you you know 32 minutes a day is the right amount or whatever. Uh, but there, there is sort of like, um, you know, the amount of attention that you put towards it, um, at least as a Christian that you, you got to be aware of to not fall on either side, um, which I think way too many people do. Yeah. Well said. Beautiful. All right. So um, any final words for our audience regarding our book or pretty much Christianity or anything at all, any, any messages to any of them?
1: Yeah, I think definitely get the book. This is a great book. I'm so proud of the work that we did, honestly. Like um, I'm, I'm very excited about the reception it's received. Thank you to everybody who's already supported it and bought it and, and, and read it. Um, and I, I guess just kind of last word is um, we are in a really interesting time in humanity and what's happening I think is is calling all of us to a a higher consciousness, a higher um, way of being, and I think it's really important for anybody who's listening to pay attention to that. To pay attention to what what, uh, however you hear from God, what you know, however you experience God, however even if you're not religious, you you have something innate in you that comes from something outside of you that you that you listen to and that you follow. And it's what's, it's what's led you here, right? And I just think it's incumbent on all of us to really tune in and really pay attention to that right now, perhaps more than ever before. You know, I'm in my, my 30s and, and I, I just, I feel like now more than any other time in my life um, is a time to, to wake up and to pay attention and to be alert, you know? Um, and, and when God calls us, that we are found ready. That that we are. Our response is here. I am. What what, what can what can I do? What are you calling me to? And so um, I just that's that's kind of my my parting words is is um, let's let's wake up. You know, let's go into the new year wide awake, ready for whatever comes next.
0: Mm. Uh, a good message indeed. I, I have two that I want to share. Uh, the first is. For people in the church, and this is something that's been very frustrating for me, uh, especially the last nine months. I would like to see the church be a lot bolder. Um, and what I'm, what I've seen, I think, uh, I, I think the last nine months have more or less proved is that, you know. Not many people are that bold, right? Like there's a meme going around of, um, you know, Christians in 65 AD, you know, Emperor Nero says, I'm going to feed you to the lions. And the Christian says, uh, you know, I will gladly do that for the glory of my God. Um, 2020, Gavin Newsom says, I'm going to fine you $5,000 if you uh, go to church on Sunday. And the uh, Christian says, thank you for keeping me safe, right? Like it, it's, <laughs> it's there, there's something horrible about the lack of courage or the the courage that's missing uh from christians today. I, I would like to see more of that fire that that like uh desire to serve God that that following um him really entails and and I think to George's point like I, I see that more among Bitcoiners than I do Christians which something's really off about that, right? Like uh, that, that shouldn't be the case. There should be the, the church should be a beacon of courage uh, uh, of people that are bold, that are, that are, uh, you know, even if not agreed with, uh, admired for what they're able to do and what changes that they're trying. And, uh, you know, sort of like a respect that you get, even if they don't agree with you, because wow, these people actually really believe what they're doing Uh, instead of, sort of like the hypocritical reputation that many Christians have. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, that would be message one message two would be to the Bitcoiners, uh, which is that, you know, there there's, it's all, you know, having sound money is good, but, um you know to what end um i would i would ask you like what is the end goal that you want to see um and i i would hope that most of you would say something like a better civilization uh you know something uh legacy related uh you know bitcoin as we say helps you think much more long term uh and if you're thinking ultimately long term you you have to ask yourself about what is my eternal destiny? Right. Um, and I'm not just asking metaphorically as in, you know, what's going to happen to your children and your descendants or whatever, but about you, uh, what, what, what's the most, um, practical thing that you can do to do something for yourself eternally. And, um, and that's a question worth exploring. Um, and especially if you have some experience in the church, that's, uh, that's, you know, I, I would encourage you to go and read some of that stuff because there are some eternal principles, some, some capital T truths that, uh, that can help in figuring that out. Uh, so that would be my last word there. Love
1: it. Thanks for having All me right. on. Dude. This was fun.
0: Yeah, it, it, it was, a it was a lot of fun. I, I didn't know exactly how it would go, but <laughs> yeah, we're, here we are. All <laughs> right. Uh, uh, anyway, That was great, George. Uh, Thanks for being on. Um, Where can people find you?
1: So I'm on Twitter at G at G-M-E-K-H-A-I-L. I I also uh, co-founded Bitcoinis.com, which is a a resource center for uh, Bitcoin. And uh, we also have a a store where you can get the book as well as some uh, merchandise. So check it out. Hmm.
0: Yeah, um, and by the way, George is recording the audio book. So, um, oh yeah, that's if you true. Don't get it out, uh, then you can blame, blame me. You. Yeah, just uh, at me. <laughs> I'm working on it. Work in progress. <laughs> all right, all right. Thanks. Let's. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. George can be found at Twitter at G McHale, and our book can be found on Amazon. Thank God for Bitcoin. Until next time, fiat lenda est.